Hello and welcome to the Tennis Menu's Daily Rolling Garros Show. I'm your host, Val Febo, and we are here for the TennisMenu.com. And remember, crunching the numbers is the latest tennis starter trends run by our great friend Shane Leonage. Only $39.90 on the TennisMenu.com. Shane is going to join us today and we'll get to him in a second. He's got some great stats on Denis Shapovalov last night and how much he actually came into the net on the clay. Is the game changing? We don't know. We'll chat a lot more about that. Speaking of Denis Shapovalov, a dodgy line call cost him in an epic five-set boil over at the hands of Roberto Cabellas Abena of Spain, who won his first ever top 10 and fifth set match last night. So uh, an epic win from him. Novak Djokovic looks in ominous form, as does Yelena Ostapenko, the 2017 Roland Garros champ. She clubbed uh, Karolina Pliskova off the court in the second round last night. She was absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Christina Pliskova as well lost. So both Pliskova's twins are both gone from Roland Garros. But we do have plenty to get through on the show today. So without further ado, the best high-performance coach in the business, hashtag Mark Fafero. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going well, Val. And Mark Fafero, Mark for PM. Geez, I'm, uh, I'm going to be everywhere around the world in the next few yep. years. But incredible tennis going on overnight. I know Shane's got an amazing stat that I thought it blew my mind this morning. Uh, around Shapovalov and the way that the game is being played at the French Open this year is like no other. I don't think we'll ever see what we're seeing at the moment at the French Open ever again because of the time of year. But Shane, we'll touch on that shortly. So thanks for, uh, for having me on the show and uh, looking forward to sharing it with the three of you today. Thanks for having you on the show. It's your show, mate. <laughs> so you, you can do whatever you want to do. <laughs> Thank you for having me as host. It's um, all right. My pleasure. And Joel Frucci, our resident Italian curse word speaker on the show today. How are you? <laughs> yeah, good boys. I, I thought I might change it up today. I, I, I was thinking maybe Buenos Dias this morning. I mean, I'm pretty sure I butchered that Spanish, but oh, we'll leave it. Well, we can we can just go with Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Just, <laughs> just for fun. And well, this man, we had him on our US Open show. We just read uh, in our in our package for the tennismenu.com, but he is the secret behind Ange Jabeur in 2020. Australian Open quarterfinals, Doha quarterfinals, Lexington quarterfinals, Cincinnati quarterfinals, US Open third round, Roland Garros third round, and a ranking from 77 to a projected 33rd in the world. He's not even looking at the camera because he's that shy that he knows he's done that. Shane Leonage, yeah, hashtag, yeah. hashtag legendary Leonage. How are you, mate? Thank you for joining us on the show. Mate, I, I, I cannot take any of that. I uh, definitely, um, no false modesty that there is a, a part that I do play, but uh, I think uh, the effort's really been on Ons and, uh, and Issam and, and the team. They've just worked really hard and, and uh, yeah, it's great to see her having the results and really taking uh, tennis to a new, new part of the world um, with, with her success. Yeah, she has been an inspiration to a lot of people, especially like in the, she said that she wants to be, um, a mixture of an inspiration between Arabic women and African women as well to take up sport and not just the women as well, but men too. So she's become a real cornerstone of tennis and real great exponent of tennis in that region as well. But the results last night, we'll start with the men's Novak Djokovic over Ricardus Barankis, the Lithuanian heart monitor. You don't know what he's going to pull out on each occasion, but <laughs> it was way too good. 6-1, 6 pass. After a slow match against Shuame Muna in the opening round, he really came good against 
Pablo Cuevas, 6-1, 6-4, 6-2 in a really dominant display. Roberto Carabayas Baena against Denis Shapovalov, 7-5-6-7-6-3-3-6-8-6 in an epic win. That's one that we're definitely going to touch on. Matteo Berrettini uh, over Lloyd Harris, 6-4-4-6-6-2-6-3. Grigor Dimitrov threw in straight. Karen Khashinov after his Twitter feud with Nick Kyrgios threw over Yuri Vesely in four. Uh, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, as I mentioned before, he's gone. Andre Rublev took care of him in four sets. Roberto Batista Agu in straight as well over Attila Balaz. Pablo Carreño Buster threw as well, continuing his rich vein of form. Tiago Montero, the Brazilian, threw to the third round over Marcos Giron of the USA. Unfortunately, the last Aussie is gone. Mark Polman's out. Winning the first set and being up a break in the second and serving for the third was just unable to get over the line against the 20th seed Christian Garin, 6-7-6-2-7-6-6-4. Kevin Anderson threw in five over Dushan Lajevic in an epic encounter. Aliaj Bedenet, Daniel Alani Gelan over Tennis Sangren, Martin Pushevics, and uh, Daniel Altmaier, who upset Jan Lennard Strop in straight sets. So some good results there, but a lot of the favourites did get through, apart from... Denis Shapovalov, and that was one that we really thought he'd clean up in. And Karabayas Bena, he's a great player on the clay, but unfortunately for um, for Shapovalov, he really turned it up last night. And Shane, you have some great stats on on what Shapovalov did during that match. Yes, there are a lot of forehand. I think it was 100 unforced errors in the end. Um, 109. 109. That is unbelievable. Like in, in five hours of tennis, that's averaging, what, 20... 20, 21 and a bit an hour. That's that's ridiculous. But his net game as well, coming into the net on clay isn't something that you'd normally see, is it, Shane? Yeah, so there was 390 points in total in that match. And he came in, well, there were net 103 net points, um, which he won 71% of. In terms of the other points, it was 287 points and he was only winning around 32% of those points. So, um, yeah, huge discrepancy in that. I, and I'd love to put it to Mark in terms of... Um, when you see numbers like that, um, are you know are the players able to sort of get that uh, or get that insight while they're playing? And two, um, should he have come in more given the yeah. success he was having? Yeah, it's a great point, and I think one of the things that as a player you very rarely know what actually is going on on the court. You just play on instinct, you play on adrenaline, and there's not many times where you'd come off and go, "Yeah, I felt like I was really successful at doing this." Like, in the, and as a coach, like you, your player would come off and you dissect with them and you say hey, you realise you, you won 71% of your net, net points today and you came in 103 times and they'd be like, what? No, I didn't. You know, because they just don't feel that at, at the time. But uh, I think, you know, we've discussed this before, Shane, how good would it be if Shapovalov's coach could come out during a change of ends and go, hey, mate, we're having a, a 70% win ratio at the net. We've got to get forward. We're only winning 30% of the points at the baseline. This is the time we need to start coming forward because I feel like, you know, I think we've discussed this as well, Shane. If he had known that that was the case, I reckon it would have been a few more times he would have come in. And possibly that might have been the difference because he was having a great success rate coming forward. And that would have maybe changed that fifth set. And, you know, it was a really close one, a matter of a couple of points here and there. But when you have such a high success rate like that, there's no doubt he wouldn't have known it. Um, he would have known he would have had some success, but wouldn't have known that's that. But he wouldn't have known to just keep doing that. And his coach would have probably kicked himself at the end if he hadn't have tried to coach him in the meantime yeah it was a really high win percentage not just just hitting the one volley um there, there were, i think hitting multiple volleys he was winning 64 percent as well so it wasn't that it was just a put away volley he, he 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 was having success um you know maybe hitting a defensive volley and an attacking volley on the second time the other thing is that there are a number of occasions where he didn't even have to hit, hit a volley so that putting pressure um really 
was giving him success. But um, yeah, ultimately, he, he couldn't get it done from the baseline. Is there a stat, Shane, and I know they do it in, in football terms, but around pressure and, and you know, the, a pressure gauge, you know, I, I feel like as a coach, I'm trying to do this with my athletes a lot, is get them to come forward and take time away and don't allow there to be space to defend into. You know, if a player is doing that, does the pressure gauge go up on the opponent or is there something that you guys can measure from that perspective? Because I think it'd be a really good stat as to how much pressure someone applies to you and it could be done from a time and space perspective. Yeah, so I think with the, and I know we do it actually with some of the players that we work with, um, but yeah, there is a, a pressure um, um, a pressure act sort of KPI that we do have, and, and that's just um, um, just certain actions on the court that um, that that sort of contribute to applying pressure on the opponent. And that could be your um, taking, you know, immediately after winning a point, your underline serving again really quickly because you're putting pressure on, on your opponent or could be um, something like taking the net um, or, or, you know, second serve standing a bit further in. So there's pressure acts and, and, and a range for different players, but um, we, we certainly have some. And they did say that last night during the match as well. I think um, th there was a point in the fifth set where uh, Shababalov came into the net and Carvajas Beno just immediately wants to hit the passing shot. And the commentators said that he didn't even make Shapovalov try and hit that first volley. And I think that's a testament to what you're talking about, Mark, in terms of the pressure that Shapovalov's record on when he comes to the net is that good that it kind of takes the game away from what Kobayas Banner wants to do. And I think that's what Zverev did to a team in the US Open final, tried to take the match away from him and take his backhand away from him by coming into the net. It's obviously a lot different on clay, but the pressure does work. It's what Roger Federer does so well as well. But Joel, during this match, there was a little bit of news. And look, we've been saying for years that Hawkeye needs to be implemented on clay. And if this mm -hmm. is further evidence that it does, the dodgy line call that Denis Shapovalov copped when he was serving for the match, it clearly rattled him. So take us through what exactly happened um, and how it affected the match. Yeah, so it was a baseline call and this was 5-4 uh, in the fifth set. Denis Shapovalov is at this point serving for the match, so it's clearly a massive point. I forget exactly which point it was, but I think it was 15-all yeah, um, at the time. Yeah, 15-all. So it was a massive, massive point in the context of the match. Um, Denis Shapovalov wins that point. He probably goes on and wins the match, let's face it. And I think even, to be honest, Val, even if there was Hawkeye available, and they go upstairs and the technology finds that that shot was long. I still think he probably wins. Um, I think it was just the fact that he clearly knew that it was long, but the fact that it was called in and wasn't overturned, I think that's what, what really got him. Um, yeah. So, I mean, clearly we do, <laughs> you know, I think we do need um, to actually take some steps to, to bring in Hawkeye uh, on clay. I still don't understand why we, why we can't do it, but, um, yeah, it was it was sort of sad to see that that clearly had a big impact on on Denis Shapovalov at that point. Um, we were talking the other day about how obviously we can't sort of blame just just one point uh, when when players go down, but it clearly did affect him. And um, I really wanted to ask you about this, Mark. Like, if you're if you're in, in that kind of situation, if your player is in that situation, how do you or how can you? Uh, I suppose, train them to not be rattled by, by something like that. Because clearly Dennis was, even though he's, he's clearly taken steps to uh, work on his, on his mindset, he's got that uh, psychologist behind the scenes. But how, how exactly do you sort of help your player not to, uh, I guess, read too much into it and just put it to one side? 
Yeah, it's it's a really good question. It's something that I know Shane and I have talked on a, on podcast before around the the percentage of points that the winners usually have in a match is only roughly around the 53, 54% um, mark. If you win a match, it's where you're generally winning. And I think Nadal's winning winning record on clay is like 93 or 2 or 3%, but he's, he's only winning 56% of those points. So we're playing a game of um, individual points pretty much. So if, if you can't let go of a point, whether you've won a massive point or you've lost a massive point, um, I think it's really important to be able to focus on the next one. And you can't do anything about the past. And then that's obviously a lot of the mindfulness stuff we've touched on on our show is really critical that you, you keep your players really present in their training. You keep them really present for their matches and you train them to have the ability to let go. Um, and and let, letting go doesn't mean just when you lose a point. Letting go is when you win a point. You know, once, you've, once the point is done, it is done. You can't go back and do anything about it. So it's so, so critical to teach them the present moment thinking and to teach them that it's about the process and not about the result because the results will come and go. But if they get stuck anywhere, whether they, they get too emotional about winning a point or too emotional about losing a point, you're actually hanging on to that emotion for too long, as Chapeau did obviously last night and obviously lost the match due to it. And it's just such a critical component, Joel, of the game. I think that coaches these days are so so mindful that um, we play a thinking game. And you know I'm going to throw it to Shane about the thinking processes in the game because you had a great stat come up on your page yesterday around the amount of time we're actually playing for compared to the time that we're not. And, you know, hopefully you can chat to us about that too. Yeah. So you're, you're playing for around 25. Like if you look at the overall duration of a match, 25% of it is the actual play time. So it's the 75%, which is what I would term the dead time where players sort of thinking about what's going on, maybe not digesting things or, or if they've got a good momentum, they've probably got positive vibes. And um, so it's, it's a big part of the game um, that, um, yeah, certain players have routines that they use to, to sort of fill the gaps and make sure when they go into that play time, they're, they're ready to play. Um, I do have something on Hawkeye as well. I, um, I, I, uh, it, I, I'm of the view that a system like Fox 10, which is a, um, a not, non-optical tracking system, which uses sort of cameras and, and very fast replay is a better option on clay than using a, a, an estimation-based sort of optical tracking system like Hawkeye. Um, uh, so one of the things that I study at university is related to sort of ball tracking spin and, and Hawkeye isn't hundred percent accurate. And, and I think um, a system like Fox 10 would be a better choice, but we definitely need something. I don't think we can rely on people looking at ball marks anymore. Because it is human error. And that's the thing. Like we've got, and how many times has it happened throughout this tournament where the umpire has gone to the wrong ball mark? And it happened last week in Hamburg. It happened in Rome as well. It happens every week we play on the clay. It's the TV coverage has Hawkeye. Can we at least just use that until we find something that's good? And I know the clay does shift and I know it's a lot harder to anticipate where the ball did or has bounced on clay, but there's surely got to be something different that we can do. But Shapovalov came out last night was in, and was skating towards the French Open directors. And they asked him a question about the French Open bubble compared to the US bubble. Um, and the scheduling of the tournament as well in itself. So he said, honestly, I don't think they're doing a good job. There's no real bubble, especially in the second hotel from what I've heard. Scheduling is absolutely awful. I mean, after a five-hour match, I have to play doubles now. It's just like, it's, I just, it's just complete trash scheduling. It's disappointing. I mean, you're in a grand slam and I don't want to sound spoiled, you know, but you expect at least some help from the tournament to help you compete. 
How am I supposed to come out and play doubles now after a five-set match? It's a first round as well. They could have at least scheduled it way better, way easier. I mean, it's not acceptable. And the bubble as well, it's just there is no bubble. You can leave the hotel. You can go to the city. There's no problem. There's nobody stopping you. So New York was done way better. So it's, it's a bit of a damning assessment of where France is at, I think, as a country right now in terms of the COVID pandemic. But, you know, when one tournament does things so well and the next tournament does things so poorly... Um, Mark, as a coach, if players are in that sort of, and I know you're trying to control the controllables, I guess, in terms of how they can go about their business and what they can do. But when players are this disgruntled about what's happening as a coach, what are you trying to tell them to try and keep them in the present and try and keep them focused on the tournament? Yeah, another good question. I think the biggest one for me in this situation is I would be, I'd be seeing this as a great opportunity for my player because everyone's complaining about everything and everyone's focusing on so much of the stuff you can't control. I'll be like, hey, great opportunity. This is this is the time now where we have a chance to take the, the edge because if they're going to focus on the bubble or they're going to focus on the balls or if they're going to focus on the conditions, if they're going to focus on this stuff, they're not focusing on what they need to be doing. And, you know, we spoke about this yesterday with Kashinov with the Twitter war with, with yep. Kyrgios. You know, it doesn't take much for a player to lose their concentration and focus. And as a coach, I'd be really focused in on just keeping them present, keeping them um, in a situation where they're in control of the controllables, um, keeping them calm, keeping them relaxed, and then focus on what they need to be focused on. And, and that's all you can really do as a coach. And, and you hope your player is doing the same. But, you know, that's a, it's a, had Shapovalov had a won that match, maybe the press conference would have been slightly different. And, and this is the thing, you know, you, you look at the, the, the pros and cons of that. And, and I, I totally understand, you know, he's lost on a, on a line call. Well, he hasn't really because it was a, it, he was up 5-4 and serving for it too. So, you know, it was, yeah. And, and look, it, it was definitely a, a really bad mistake. Um, but in saying that, players make really bad mistakes too. So, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one. But if you have the technology, you may as well use it. And that's, that's my thought is if you've got it and you can afford to do it and every other tournament's doing it, well, why, why aren't they doing it at the French Open? So, um, but yeah, it's a really interesting time at the French Open. There's a lot of backlash happening and uh, there's a lot of people really disgruntled about the way it's been handled. And there's no doubt Craig Tiley, who's an incredible operator, is looking at that and saying hey, we need to do something about the Australian Open and ensure that we don't get this backlash because it is a players' tournament here at the Australian Open. Well, the Australian Open generally gets pretty good feedback from all the players. And from what you said, there's never really any negative feedback. So I've got utter faith in what Tylee and his um, and his right-hand men and women can do in organising the tournament. And I reckon we'll be fine once things get around here. Our COVID situation is getting a lot uh, better in Melbourne. Only seven cases or new cases yesterday. So things are dwindling a little bit. So thank God for that because I can't wait for this lockdown to be over, guys. So we can actually maybe even do these shows together one day. That would Absolutely. be... That would yeah. be even better. Um, but moving on, um, Novak Djokovic looked in really ominous form last night. It got to a point where he was even trying to practice things on his second serve. Um, look, after watching a couple of rounds of team, a couple of rounds of Nadal and a couple of rounds of Djokovic, I'll just get an opinion from all three of you before we do move on to the women. Who do we think out of those three is the favourite now to win this tournament? Because neither have dropped a set. Team has come through some really tough opponents in Sok and Chilich. Nadal has looked absolutely dominant, as has Djokovic, but they're against players that those two would normally beat up on. So who's got the gauge? We'll start with you, Shane. Who do you see as the as the outright favourite for this tournament? Is it still Rafa because of his clay court record, or can Novak and team usurp him? Look, it's hard to ever go against Rafa in Paris on, on the clay. Um, I do 
think Novak's probably the the fact that he doesn't have to go through both of them um, does probably help him a little bit. Um, and the conditions are a little bit more in his favour than, than Nadal and team. But yeah, I, I still have Rafa as the favourite to, to win all of this. And, um, and certainly I think there's a couple of days next week that there is a bit of sun forecast. And, and if it works out to be the semi-final and final, Rafa will be laughing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's going to be difficult. I, I, for my opinion, I think it's, it's teams to lose at the moment. I think the way that he's playing with his confidence, I reckon he might be able to usurp both of them. And, um, and he said he wants to keep Rogers' records at number one. So that would be very, very handy indeed. Joel, what about you? Uh, Rafa, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I, usually I don't read a whole lot into, into history. Um, but, I mean, Rafa's, Rafa's history um, at Roland Garros, I mean, speaks for itself. It's hard to really sort of go against that. Yep, agree, Mark? Records are made to be broken. I think Novak Djokovic is um, looking pretty, pretty good at the moment. I don't think he would have lost the US Open if he hadn't have, uh, you know, throated some female lines person. And uh, <laughs> I think, um, I think uh, he's playing some incredible tennis, like incredible. I haven't seen the guy play like this, you know, in, in his history. And, you know, he, he looks unbeatable. And, and as you guys said, Rafa on clay is incredible. Um, but, you know, he is playing, Novak is playing some, some scary tennis. He hasn't lost a match apart from being defaulted this year. So, you know, his confidence is sky high. He speaks in Italian last week in Rome. He speaks in French at the end of the match here in France. He speaks Serbian. He speaks English. I think uh, he's going to be speaking titles at the end of this one and getting a step closer to Nadal and Federer. Well, Joel also speaks Italian, so we're, we're, <laughs> we've got our own resident Italian speakers. Yeah. Only, only difference is I haven't uh, won any Grand Slams yet. Maybe no, one don't, day. don't worry. It'll happen. We'll just get you to play <laughs> Novak and you'll default. I've never had, and also I've never heard "throated" as a verb before, so I don't mind that. But uh, well, well, let's let's move on before we get too sidetracked. <laughs> um, the women's draw: Yelena Ostapenko absolutely clubbed Karolina Pliskova off the court, six four six two last night. The twenty seventeen champ is in ominous form. Sophia Kennan also threw after a test from Anna Bogdan. Fiona Farrow keeping Francis' hopes alive. Um, 6-3, over Alina Rubikina. Uh, Gabinia Muguruza over Christina Pliskova. Petra Kvitova also going through, as did Jung Shui over Elisa Cornet. Uh, Carol Burrell uh, also threw over Kaya Juban. Danielle Collins destroyed Clara Torson, who defeated Jennifer Brady. Um, so she's in some good form as well. Arena Sabalenka over Dara Kasatkin. A seven six six love. Um, Christina, uh, sorry, R- Romania have three players in the third round here. I'm not sure when the last time that happened was. It wouldn't have been, it might have been a fair while ago, but Patricia Maria Tig over Christina McHale, six four six three last night is a great story, as is Arena Burra, who is in her very first Grand Slam main draw. 25 years of age, and she's reached the third round. Alison Van Wheatbank retiring 6-1 Fort Love down on Jabur. Shane will ask you a bit about her in a second. Laura Siegman through. Petra Martic also through, as well as pa- um, Paula Badosa. She's got over Sloane Stevens in three, the 2018 runner-up at the French Open. Layla Fernandez also going through as well. But on Jabur, Shane is um, your brainchild, though you've done wonders with her this year. Getting through to the third round at Roland Garros, she's now done it, I think, at all three Grand Slams. Um, this year has been simply stunning, the way that she's played, the way that she's overcome some really, some 
really fantastic players and, and the results that she's achieved, it's been a personal best at the Oz Open, US Open and now French Open all in the same season. Um, what's been the secret behind her success? Yeah, look, um, well, f- firstly, I think on, on the clay... I'm really... pointing at you, by the way. Uh, d- definitely not. I think the, the amount of work that, and the coach, uh, that, like I, I get an insight into, into what they're doing. Um, they're, they're testing boundaries on, on different areas. So data is one thing that they've sort of invested in this year, but they're just training a little bit differently and smarter and scheduling better. So I think it's a, it's, yeah, it's a huge effort, a team effort, but um, Isam, I don't know if he's watching, but if he is, a huge shout out. I love working with him. Great, great tennis brain. Um, so he's, he's definitely the reason why she's um, improving and, 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 and Ons as well, her attitude. She's, she worked really hard during the lockdown. Um, she, she was, a she wanted to maintain the form that she had at the start of the year and she's sort of picked it up. Um, and then in the transition to clay, uh, I'd, I'd say it's fair to say it's not her favorite surface when you, when you compare her hardcore sort of pedigree. Um, but she's worked hard. Um, she overcame a bit of an injury in Rome and, and she's playing really well. And, and yesterday was a really tough opponent. Hibino just made the semifinals in Strasbourg, beat really good players like uh, Sloane um, Stevens and, and Yelena Stopenko last week. So we knew it was a danger match and yeah, Ons played fantastic. Yeah, she really did, and and I think um, looking at looking at her draw now, let's have a look at where she sits in the scheme of things. So she's through to round number three, and she will take on where is it here? So Arena Sabalenka. That's a match that's definitely winnable. Sabalenka can have some very inconsistent results, and the way that Anjouvo has played, the way she strikes the ball, Shane, um, it, 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 she's she has to be one of the hardest hitters on the WTA, doesn't she? Look, she she hits hard, but I. I, I without giving too much, it's a variety. I think she's got um, a, a great change-up, which which is a, her asset, um, a creativity, and, and it's sometimes um, um, trying to find that balance between being really creative but playing the percentages. Um, so that's, yeah, but she's she's definitely can hit it hard when she needs to. Yeah. Speaking of hitting it hard, guys, Yelena Ostapenko what, just obliterated Carolina Pliskova. She hit... Uh, how many winners was it last night? She's hit... So I've got a stat here. She's hit, so last night she hit 27. She's hit 73 winners in her first two round in her first two rounds in this tournament. Novak Djokovic has only hit 57, and he's played two more sets of tennis. That is how hard um, Yelena Ostapenko is hitting the ball at the moment. Mark, when you speak, we we spoke two days ago about the conditions and really suiting her because the ball isn't going to travel as fast, and um, it's sort of sitting up in her hitting zone a little bit more. How dangerous does this actually make her? Because this was going to be the gauge on where she was at. And now we've got that gauge. She's going to be very difficult to beat. She will be difficult to beat. And obviously the draw is fairly open where she is at the moment. So she she should possibly get through the next few rounds. And she is a, a past winner. Um, she's won this event before. She'll have confidence at, at the venue. She'll have confidence, you know, playing. There's no doubt about that. She's, she's one of the players to beat. Um, but as we said, like, she's so hot and cold. I mean, she, she can play absolutely outstanding because of the, the offense that she plays. But and we talked about this on the show the other day, you know, defense wins titles. Um, you know, she doesn't really defend great, but she's unbelievable offensively. So she, if she is 10% off on her offensive game in a match, that can really hurt her a little bit, you know, because she's not going to be steady. And you talk about Djokovic, you know, Djokovic defends and then attacks on the back of great defense. She just plays offense and there's no other, other way. It's gear five or there's nothing. Um, so it'd be very interesting to see what she does moving forward. But wow, she's in some good form, striking the ball well, looks confident, looks fit, 
looks ready to, to take this uh, this tournament right to the end. And, you know, who knows? If she if she continues on her merry way, then uh, she's going to be very, very hard to beat. And even Mergorutha and, uh, and Halep are going to struggle to beat her. Yeah, they really will. And look, in the, the last few sections of that draw, it's Ostapenko v. Badosa. It's Siegman v. Martic. It's Zhang Shui v. Clara Burrell. And then uh, Kvitova and Leila Fernandez. So Kvitova, can she make a semi-final or... You know, that, that bottom half of the draw, and Joel, you and I have spoken about this in, in depth over the past few days about the women's draw and how open some of the sections are. That bottom quarter, bottom two quarters are, are really, really open. And what do, you, what do you see happening for the rest of the tournament there? Well, I'm the names you mentioned there, I'm salivating at the thought of, of watching Yelena Rostopenko go head to head with Petra Kvitova. Um, <laughs> I mean, we talk about fighting fire with fire. I mean, that is just going to be something else. I mean, Petra hits the ball uh, so hard. And uh, if Yelena if, I mean, if can keep going the way she's going, clearly um, confidence is a, is a very big factor in, in her game, um, seeing how hard she hits the ball. So uh, if she can keep up the consistency, then, uh, then who knows? Uh, on a slightly different note, though, uh, boys, just a quick uh, straw poll. I might start with, with you, Val, and then go to Shane and, and Mark. On Carolina Pliskova, she's 28 now. In my opinion, she's missed two really, really great opportunities to break that duck of no Grand Slams. Former world number one. Will she win one? No, nah, I'm, I'm ruling it out now. She can't do it now. When Barty, Osaka, Andreescu, when all, when all those, Benchich, when all of them come back, um, yes, she's in the top four in the world, but I, I just don't think, I think she's had a chance. She's made a final back in the 2016 US Open and, Look, she's got the game for it, but whether it's it's mental now, and that's that's probably the question for Mark, whether it's mental now, whether she actually can do it. We did the uh, US Open. Um, we went through all the women that we think can win a slam. We both had her as a yes, I think. Um, but, you know, now, now does that change? I, I, it definitely has for me. I, I'm not sure she actually can after getting smashed up the court by Ostapenko, Mark? Yeah, that's, it's, a bit, it's an interesting one because the answer is yes, she can win one. Like, yeah. she's, she's got the game to win one. But the, the game and the mentality, to me, don't match up. There, there's something missing between the years that is, you know, is not there. I mean, she has been number one in the world. So, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the girl can play and she's got the, the tools and the weapons to be able to create something quite special. But if you don't have the mentality, and again, she's one player who defensively, yeah, I'm a little bit, um, little bit concerned with her defensive skills. You know, offensively, great. You know, but over a Grand Slam, two weeks, over one week, yeah, no problem. Over two weeks and, and having to have a break in between, having time to think about it. Um, and, you know, not she's not the patient one. So to play the long game for her at a Grand Slam is not quite her forte. So, you know, I think she can win one, but do I think she will? No, I don't. Yeah, yeah I think I agree with all, all of the above, really. Uh, I think defensively is where she's probably trailing some of the, the other girls, certainly the ones coming up. Um, um, she can win one. She's got the, the tools to do it. But, um, yeah, it's going to get hard because uh, I think you're going to see some of the players like Coco Goff. Um, I mean, still in the draw, Leia Fernandez. She, she's she's incredible. I don't know if she gets further in this tournament, but she will be one to look out for. And then, you know, got Torsen. There's a, there's a new crop coming in that can both defend and be attacking. And that's where I think um, she, she might struggle. Yeah, uh, I agree. And before tonight, before we get to tonight's matches, Shane, um, who does the who do the conditions on the women's side suit? Do you think? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, hard to go against Halep. Um, I mean, Ostapenko. The fact that she's got a bit of time, um, 
will, will make her dangerous in this tournament. But I, I think Simona's done everything right since since coming back. Yeah, she definitely has. She hasn't lost on the clay at all since we have come back. So I think that's that's what bodes very well for her. But tonight's matches, Casper Ruud against Dominic Team. That's one that we're very excited about, both in phenomenal form. Ruud, especially on the clay. Maybe Team might get that Ruud awakening. Who knows? Um, Simona Halep and Amanda Anisimova, last year's semi-finalist against the 2018 champ. Elise Mertens against Caroline Garcia and Stefano Travaglia against Rafa Nadal. That's an exciting one as well. Uh, Alina Svitolina and Stan Vavrinka also in action, Alexander Zverev against Marco Cecchinato. I think we're going to have an Italian upset tonight. I don't think Zverev is getting through. The 2018 semi-finalist looks absolutely brilliant at the moment after coming through qualifying. Kiki Burton's also in action. How will she pull up after the epic cramps that she had against Sara Arani? Eugenie Bouchard, Taylor Fritz, Diego Schwartzman. He's taking on Norbert Gombos, my mate Norbert. <laughs> um, he's in action tonight, so who knows? Will we see an upset there? Maria Sakari also in action. Sebastian Corda, will he get through to his first Grand Slam fourth round? Federico Coria and Yannick Sinner, that's an epic brewing as well. The younger brother of 2004 finalist Guillermo against the young and up-and-coming Italian. And yeah, I think we're looking at some really, really big matches tonight. And Svetana Peronkova as well. Will she make a second consecutive Grand Slam fourth round? She'll take on Barbara Krejcikova of the Czech Republic. But that's about all we've got time for today. And remember, on the tennismenu.com, crunching the numbers is the latest tennis data uh, trends run by our great friend Shane Leonard. And only $39.90 US on the tennismenu.com. And Shane, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's been absolutely fantastic and sensational to get your insight. Hashtag legendary Leonage to live on and on throughout the tournament. Thanks, guys. Uh, you know, thanks for going easy on me. The three of you, I was a bit nervous, but uh, no, it was great coming on the show. We are a very daunting trio, aren't we? Especially when Joel pulls out the Italian obscenities. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, no worries, boys. I, uh, yeah, I don't know what uh, see you later is in Spanish, but anyway. Arrivederci. <laughs> Let's go with that. Um, and Mark's the fullest. Hashtag Mark for Ferro, Mark for PM, Mark for Premier, Mark for everything. Um, best high performance coach in the business. Thank you very much for your efforts on the show today, mate. It's been a pleasure as usual. No, great to have uh, all of you on board and great to have Shane with his data. And two upsets coming tonight. Cecchinato to beat uh, Zverev on the cards. And uh, Hannibal Lecter, I think, won't re recover from her epic uh, epic uh, battle the other night. Uh, that's Kiki Burton's, and she'll lose that match. And, uh, yeah, it could be interesting to see what happens if they wheel her out in the wheelchair and she gets up and plays. We could see something quite epic. So, um, like a Lazarus recovery. Oh, that would be absolutely fantastic. But she has made a Roland Garros semi before, but who knows? Uh, Mark Zabula, Shane Leonard, Joffrey, to remember. Also tonight, go Tigers, Richmond, Brisbane, <laughs> AFL finals. Got to get behind the boys. Um, but yeah, and good luck to the Eagles against the Magpies for Shane as well. Goal, unfortunately, your bombers aren't in. And Mark, I don't think your pies are going to get too far, but we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, remember, big night of tennis as well. We've got some massive matches. I think there's going to be an Italian upset today. Val Ferro, Mark Zipola, Shane Leonard, and Joel Frucci joining you on the Tennis Menu's Daily Rolling Garros Show. We'll catch you tomorrow.